1: Have you ever wondered if you have any special talents or unusual traits passed down to you unknowingly through your family line? Maybe you have Mozart music ability, or you have presidential or athletic bloodlines. Maybe you would discover that someone in your family had a brilliant mind and changed the industry that they were a part of. Of course, you could also discover some not-so-great things. Perhaps you come from a line of chronic criminals or other deplorable behavior. You know, understanding our, our past and our genealogy is, is easier now than ever because of these DNA tests. How many of you have seen these? Or maybe you've taken one, these DNA testing kits. You know, 23andMe, My, uh, MyHeritage, Ancestry.com. They're very popular. In fact, if you haven't gotten all your Christmas gifts yet, maybe you'd consider giving one of these. And the premise is pretty simple. Without precise genealogical records, through a simple saliva test, they can tell you a lot of facts about your heritage, about your ancestry. They can tell you where you're from and and different other interesting little tidbits about yourself. But if you've ever seen one of these commercials, the marketing is fascinating. They paint this picture. It's not just like telling you about the facts. No, understanding this will unlock your future and you will suddenly know who you are. Are. I mean, it's pretty powerful. Now, our obsession and interest with understanding where we've come from, it's nothing new. For many, many centuries, men and women have cared about genealogy. They've poured over record books and they've, they've kept track of family trees. It has been an interest for many, many different people. But I think it's safe to say that the internet and DNA technology has changed the game. Now, if we decide to go digging into our past, some of us may find that we love what we discover, right? But for many of us, we're going to discover some skeletons in the closet. We may feel empowered with what we, what we discover, or we may feel deeply discouraged. What do you know about your family of origin? Is it encouraging or is it embarrassing? Well, during this series, The Perfect Christmas, we've been looking at the story of Christmas through a little bit different lens. We've been looking at God's perfect timing, which probably didn't really feel perfect to many people, but we discovered that God's timing is perfect and that our response is that we embrace the wait. We wait with God, not for God. And then we looked at God's perfect prophecies, which are oftentimes mysterious and unexpected and and the encouragement there was to to lean into that intimate relationship with our Abba Father, trusting in him and his ways. And today I'm going to take us on a journey of looking at God's perfect people and we're going to explore Jesus's family. We're actually going to be in Matthew 1 looking at the genealogy of Jesus. You know, these are people with real messy stories who got to partner and participate with God in this great adventure. No matter your past or your present, God loves to partner with people. And here's the good news for us today. God's purposes don't require perfect people. What does this mean for us? I'm gonna pray and invite the Holy Spirit to be the teacher today. And so Holy Spirit, we welcome you here today to be the teacher God, I thank you for what you want us to hear today, and we pray for ears to hear. We welcome you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I was reflecting a little bit on my own family of origin and my great, great grandparents immigrated here uh, to America from Europe. And I can trace my family roots back to Germany and Switzerland and France. And this is a fun fact you might not know about me. I'm actually named after two great grandmothers. And my legal name is Julia Rose. Now, my first great-grandmother, her name was Julia Lehman, and I discovered that actually Julie was a nickname of Julia. So if you've been calling me Julie this whole time, don't worry, you weren't calling me the wrong name. In fact, if I hear the name Julia, it usually means that I'm in trouble. So I do still respond to Julie, (laughs) but Julia Lehman was married to my great-grandfather, David, and she was the mother of eight, and they were farmers, Um, and one of her children was my paternal grandfather, Vernon Lehman. Now... Rose, uh, my other great-grandmother, her name was Rose Yoder Hare. Her maiden name was Yoder, which I love that little tidbit because, of course, now my name is Julia Rose Yoder. And she was also married to a man named David. She was married to David August. She was the mother of 12, including my maternal grandfather, Jim Hare. And They were, again, their faith and their family was very important to them, but they were also business people. They had a coal business and they also had a landscaping business. And the truth is beyond those little facts I just gave you, I really don't know much about Julia or Rose. And sometimes I think to myself, man, I wish I knew more. You know, like, who do I look like, Julia or Rose? Do I have their personality? Do I have their build? What what was their story? And what I wouldn't give for a cup of coffee to sit down and hear more about their lives. You know, our, our history and our genealogy and our heritage, it's a really interesting and important part of our lives. I was talking with a friend and he told me that he went down this journey of researching his genealogy and he discovered so many interesting things about his family. And man, when he was telling me, I was like, this is a colorful family. He discovered that in his family was at, they were actually kings. He descended from kings, and then he discovered all these amazing stories of like bravery and courage and all these like amazing people. But of course, there was also some bad behavior. There was prostitution, there was murder, there was some other pretty pretty bad behavior. You know, he discovered that his mother had conceived him before his parents were born. But as he began to unpack his his lineage and his family history, he discovered that it was this beautiful picture of imperfection and partnership with God. And this family would go on to change the world, to change my life and to change your life. You may have guessed, I was talking about my friend, Jesus, the son of God. Did you see what I did there? Jesus' genealogy is actually really, really important. And yet, it's something I think that we often don't really think about. We don't really, um, yeah, when we think of Christmas, we think Christmas starts with Matthew 1.18. Let's go there right now. It says, this is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. But Matthew doesn't start at verse 18. Matthew starts at verse 1. And this is where Matthew starts his gospel. Matthew 1.1. The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, the Bible is filled with some amazing stories, parables, historical accounts. And then there's some less interesting parts like genealogies. Show of hands, how many of you have just skipped right past those genealogies right down to where you, okay, I'm going to go ahead and raise my hand too. And I, I understand, right? Genealogies are so hard to read. They're dense. They're filled with these really hard to pronounce names. Does anybody else's brain do this? You start to try to pronounce it and then your brain just gives up and it kind of goes like, okay, good, good. You're, you're my people. You're my people. Well, get excited because I am preaching today on Matthew 1. Jesus's genealogy. And I'm going to unpack this for us today because actually there's so much good stuff there. You know, maybe you've never read it, but I think we should ask ourselves the question, why was this included in the Bible? What is the what is the writer trying to teach us, the reader, about Jesus's genealogy? We don't want to rush over these names. We don't want to rush past the people who are a part of Jesus's story because there is so much for us to learn. I think it's so easy to, you know, to look at the little nativity scenes and think, oh, it must have just been a magical, perfect time. But the reality is that these people, Jesus' past family and his present family, were anything but perfect. You know, his family, when we read through, we're going to see good guys like Isaac, deceivers like Jacob. We're going to see kings and prostitutes. We're going to see wise ones and unwise ones. We're going to see heroes and we're going to see villains. And all along the way, we're asking the question, Jesus, what do you want us to see here? And this is what I believe he wants us to see, that these men and women were real. They were imperfect people, and yet they got to partner with God in a very unique and powerful way. You know, so often we feel unqualified. We feel unlikely. We feel unimportant. And we feel imperfect when it comes to having God choose to partner with us for his purposes. But the good news is that God's purposes don't require perfect people. Now, you didn't want me to stand up here and struggle to read this text to you. And so instead, I found a visual that we're going to watch as someone helps us understand the genealogy of Jesus. Turn your attention to the screen.
0: Abraham had Isaac, Isaac he had Jacob, Jacob he had Judah in his kin. Well, then Perez and Zerah came from Judah's woman Tamar. Perez he brought Hezron up and then came Aram, then Amminadab, then Nashan, who was then the dad of Salmon, who with Rahab fathered Boaz. Ruth she married Boaz. Who had Obed, who had Jesse Jesse, he had David Who we know as king David, he had Solomon By dead Uriah's wife Solomon, well, you all know him He had good old Rehoboam Followed by Abijah Who had Asa Asa had Jehoshaphat Had Joram, had Isaiah Who had Jotham Of a good boy named Josiah, who grandfathered Joachim, who caused the Babylonian captivity because he was a liar. And then he had Shealtiel, who begat Zerubbabel, who had Abiud, who had Eliakim. Eliakim had Azer, who had Zadok, who Listen very closely. I don't want to sing this twice. Jacob was the father of Joseph, husband of Mary, mother of Christ.
1: (laughs) Congratulations. You just made it maybe for the first time through the genealogy of Jesus. And I bless you to learn in all different types of ways. Well, what was Matthew trying to do here? Why did Matthew list out the genealogy of Jesus? I think this is an important question that we have to ask. He wanted to establish right from the beginning Jesus's legitimate kingship over Israel and his strategy was to start with a genealogy. Now that might seem kind of odd to us, but what we need to understand is that genealogies, especially in the Old Testament, were always used as a way to to communicate multiple layers of information. Yes, it was a family tree, but it was much more than a family tree. It was a theological statement. And so what Matthew is trying to do here is he is trying to make a statement that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. He is the son of Abraham, he is the son of David, and he is the Messiah. And so he is going to engage with the readers to say, okay, let's go on this little journey. I'm gonna tell you who this Jesus really is. And so he starts with Matthew 1:1, the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. From this very first sentence, we can expect that this genealogy is going to tell us more than the ancestral past. It's actually going to tell us who Jesus is and his mission. Okay? So, Matthew, the writer, he needed to connect Abraham to Jesus. Abraham is the father of the faith. And so to the Jewish people, it was very important that, of course, the Messiah would be connected to Abraham. Abraham is the man to whom God goes and says that I'm going to bless you and through your heritage, all of humanity will be blessed. And so what Matthew is doing here is he is reminding the Jewish people of God's plan of redemption. He's connecting Jesus to Abraham and saying, hey, he belongs to us. And he's beginning to build his case for Jesus being the Messiah, which is simply the anointed one, the chosen one, the one that would set the people free. So the second thing he does there, he identifies he's the son of Abraham. He also talks about him being the son of David. Now, this is interestingly a theme all throughout the book of Matthew, And this is Matthew, this is one of 10 times that Matthew makes specific note that David and Jesus are connected to one another. He was very, very interested in establishing Jesus's royalty. You know, there's actually another genealogy in Luke. I'm sure you skipped that one too, but let me tell you a little bit about it. They're different, and there's a lot of different resources actually. Why does Matthew's genealogy look like this? Why does Luke's look like that? And I don't have time to go into all the details as to the different theories on why they're different, but this is what we do know about Matthew's genealogy. He was very determined that for him, this was not about genetics, for him, this was much bigger. This was about the supernatural invading the natural. This was about His focus being that Jesus was the royal successor in the line of King David, that he truly was the Messiah. And so this is really gonna actually shape what Matthew does throughout this genealogy. And so if you saw the text, he actually breaks it down into three sections. And in those three sections, there are 14 generations. Now, if you're a geek, buckle up. It's about to get real in here. If you're not, just hang with me for a minute. It won't last too long. So this is how amazing the Bible is. This is how much detail and intentionality and nuance is in the Bible. In the Hebrew language, their letters had numerical value. And when you look at the name David and you add up the letters of David, it equals 14. 14. You see, what Matthew was doing is he was saying, he so deeply wanted to connect this idea that, that David equals 14 and Jesus equals David And all of these things go together in the very way he wrote it out. He wanted the reader to see 14, 14, 14. It was almost like a coded message to the people who were reading it. Now we can miss that mostly because we skip reading the genealogies. But this was how deeply he wanted the reader to know there's so many connections. So much so, he actually left out a few generations. Now, three to be exact. Before you're like, wait, he left out generations? Like, we're not supposed to do that when it comes to family trees. Actually, when Hebrews looked at genealogies going all the way back to Genesis, they often left out certain generations because again, they were, they were looking at it from a theological standpoint and they were trying to make theological claims Through these genealogies, the assumption was that God was the one who was arranging all the numbers, and Matthew's readers would have completely understood this. Because what Matthew was trying to do again was he was trying to show that Jesus is the one who has been prophesied, he is the Messiah. It's so, he did so many other things. Like I kind of want to know Matthew. If you've watched The Chosen, I love how they depict Matthew because in my mind, that's who wrote this book. And I know he's an actor, but in the detail, he actually sent several other like hidden messages to the reader If that if, I don't have time. So I'm just going to keep going because there's something actually more personal that, that Matthew did that I want to highlight here. He included five women in his genealogy. He included the following, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and of course his own mother, Mary. Those first four women were non-Israelite women or connected to non-Israelite families. And all of these women were connected with scandal. Including women in Hebrew genealogy, unheard of. Including non-Israelite women in, in a Hebrew genealogy, unheard of including women of scandal, unprecedented. You know, Matthew, he could have highlighted Jesus' connection to Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel, the matriarchs of the Israelite faith. But instead, he connected us to a Canaanite, to a prostitute, to a Moabite, to an adulterer, to an unwed pregnant teen, This is who Jesus connected his heritage to. And I believe he's sending us a message here today to say that God partners with all people. He partners with imperfection. He partners with pain. He partners with dysfunction. And he takes that pain and he chooses to heal us and write us in to his heritage, into his story. You see this portrait of an an inclusive and ever expanding kingdom, Matthew's just getting started because he's gonna spend the rest of his gospel saying, this is actually who is invited into the family of God. Matthew four gives us a list. And then at the very end of his book, what does he say in Matthew 28? The great commission, go into all the world and make disciples. You see, this non-Israelite strand of Jesus's family, oh, it's just getting started. And it includes me and it includes you. Matthew was doing so many things in these first 17 verses and we skip over them all the time. There's three things I wanna highlight that I believe that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us about. The first thing is this, my first observation. Matthew so highlights the incarnation. Now that's a big word, But incarnation simply means that God took on flesh, that he became a man, that Jesus is God incarnate. We read this in John 1, 14. It says, and the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. God became a man, which means he had a body, which means he had a family, which means he had a genealogy. He has now stepped into our story. Jesus is in my story and he's in your story. He's living inside us through his spirit. And now he is a, he's working in us with every single problem that we face. The incarnation is this beautiful, mysterious, incredible gift of the Christmas season. You see, he's not out away from us. No, he's in us. And so whatever we're facing, good, bad, ugly, Jesus is right there with us. And what Matthew, he was so dedicated, he wanted us to know Jesus is the Messiah. He is the chosen one. He is the anointed one. He is fulfilling those Old Testament prophecies. Look, open your eyes and see that God has come And we can receive him. Matthew does not want us to miss this. The Redeemer has come. Jesus is God incarnate. The second thing I noticed was imperfection. Jesus' family is filled with imperfection. God does not sugarcoat the lives of the people he included in his family lineage. It shows us that he partnered with imperfect people and his purposes came to pass. Let's just take a look at a few of the people for just a moment. You know, we have Rahab. Rahab was a harlot or a prostitute, a very unlikely woman to participate and be part of Jesus's lineage. She, of course, helped the Israelite spies when they went to the city of Jericho, they were on a scouting mission, and she protected and helped save them from harm. Very unlikely woman. And I think, you know, we're so quick to judge people based on their past, based on their family. We think, oh, well, God God can't really, like, uh, it's it's a little too far gone. We do the same thing for our own selves. We think, well, I'm excluded. I've done stuff that, you know, I, I know God knows, but like nobody else knows. But I think what Rahab's story shows us is that no matter our past, God loves to partner with people and his partnership and his purposes don't require perfection. How about another person, King David, who I talked about a little bit. I mean, it's just a beautiful picture of like, he's this mighty warrior, a man after God's own, own heart, murderer, adulterer. His story is one that is just shows us this, it's messy and it's miraculous. He's a picture of imperfection. And then we have, we have Joseph, a simple carpenter. Do you think Joseph wanted to, this crazy? He, I don't think he probably did. I mean, we know that he, was, he wanted to call it off, but through a dream, he, he said yes to Jesus. And then Mary, a young teenager who would forever be marked by her decision to say yes. She said yes. And her story reminds us that our salvation came through the most unlikely of things, a baby in a manger. You know, maybe you've thought to yourself, like, you know, my, my story, it, it's messy, it's, I, I'm imperfect, there's, there's no way that, like, God's going to want to partner with me. I think what these stories show us are actually that these stories are stories of grace, and our stories can also be stories of grace. You know, what I've often found is that, you know, the enemy wants to keep Our past and our pain and our history. He wants to keep it in the dark. He wants to keep it hidden because he knows if he can keep it hidden, then he's going to sideline you when it comes to full partnership. But I believe what Jesus, what Matthew 1 shows us is let that imperfection out so that Jesus can heal it. And so that he can partner with it for his purposes to be expanded. Your story may seem insignificant, it may seem unlikely, it may seem unimportant. Perhaps you'd rather hide your past than bring it into the light. But I believe that Matthew one is an invitation to us to say, okay, Holy Spirit, my story, it's actually yours. And I want to partner with you today. If you're thinking to yourself, you know, it's just unlikely that God would want to partner with me. Can I remind you that Jesus's story is an unlikely story? born to an unlikely woman in an unlikely place. Does anything good come from Nazareth? Actually a verse in the Bible. He was, he was a normal boy. He was a carpenter. He was a servant rather than a king. Remember that the political, you know, the people of Israel, they believed he was gonna be this political person who was gonna free them physically, but he did so much more. He freed us for eternity. Jesus' family shows us that he is not afraid of imperfection and that his purposes don't require perfect people. Well, the third thing that I noticed after the incarnation and imperfection was how inclusive Jesus's family is. I just love this. Jesus was and is a radical person. And Matthew right here, he's foreshadowing what's gonna happen throughout his gospel where he shows This incredible truth, the excluded are included. The excluded are included. Jesus has come for all. No one is actually left out. Now, we actually have to say yes to this incredible adventure. We have to say yes to relationship. So it doesn't actually matter if your past is perfect or disaster. If your family is filled with promise or pain. Some of you, maybe you don't know your family or you don't have relationship with your family. And while the Holy Spirit wants to bring healing and wholeness, that doesn't disqualify you. Because the incredible news is this. When we say yes to Jesus, we become adopted into his family. We are given a new bloodline. We have a new heritage that we now have access to. This is what Jesus has done for us. And for some of us, we've never actually said yes to the family of Jesus. We've never actually said, Jesus, I want to be part of your story. And today there's going to be an opportunity to do this. Now for others of us, we are part of, of the family. We've said yes to Jesus, but you know what? We've just been living as orphans. We've been walking around not realizing who our dad is, what we have access to, the inheritance that God says is ours. Turn with me right now to Galatians 3.26. This is what it says. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. There is, get ready for it, no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs and God's promises to Abraham belong to you. You see, we join Jesus through faith. And what happens is actually our body no longer matters. Our past no longer matters. Even our present no longer matters because we have been given a new identity in Jesus. And through that identity, we now get to live and we get to live out this incredible inheritance that was promised to Abraham long ago. So today there's an invitation to step into that sonship, whether it's for the first time or the 50th. Jesus wants to meet you here today because you see, God, He's not in the business of perfection, He's in the business of partnership. And what Matthew 1 teaches us is it doesn't take people who are perfect, it takes people who say, Yes to partnering with him. So Jesus today, he's taking our imperfections, he's taking our insecurities, he's taking our insignificance, and he's saying, hey, could we do it together? Could we partner with one another together? He's adopting us into his family so that we can partner with him to advance the kingdom of God and do what Matthew told us to do, go into all the world and make disciples. God's purposes don't require perfect people. And I, for one, am so grateful. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to worship. So Holy Spirit, we thank you for this truth. God, may we, may we live it. May we believe it. May it change our perspective on the things that have happened in our lives, on the things that have happened in our family, in our history, in our line. God, we just thank you right now that you're the chain breaker. And I believe right now that during worship, Holy Spirit, you're you're just coming with your spirit of freedom in this place. We say yes to all that you have for us, Jesus. Thank you for choosing to partner with us. We love you, Holy Spirit. In your name, amen.
0: Thanks for listening to the message today. To experience more powerful messages, go to vineyardlive.us or join our Vineyard Live Plus community to view conferences, trainings, and special teaching.